wanted to start in the book of Jude. Don't ask me what chapter. There's only one chapter in Jude. And I want to read this because I, I heard it this morning and it just felt like this is me. This is how I feel going through a series like this. In Jude verse 3, he says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. I can resonate with what Jude wrote right here. He basically said, you know, I just wanted to talk about salvation. I just wanted to talk about something kind of common, you know, Uh, but as I'm writing, he said, the Lord kind of shifted my, my thoughts to, to, to this fight that we're engaged in, that we have to contend earnestly for the faith. And that's how I feel. You guys know, those of you who have attended Calvary Chapel, you know that for the most part, we're just usually working our way through a book of the Bible. And I want to, I want to every single week, I'm like, I got to get back to it. I got to get back to it, you know. And so I'm looking forward to after my vacation, coming back and probably starting the book of James, just teaching through the Bible, because that's what Calvary are known for, right? And so I, I've just, man, it's been tough for me, this series, to be honest, you know, it really has because um, topical teaching and, you know, Manny, you know, hopefully you're not, you know, preaching your own personal convictions and, you know, things like that. But it's just at the end of the day, this is the, this is the fabric of our society. You know, the, the war that's being raged, we've gone from sacred to secular, which means from godly to godless and less and less in our Western civilization, in our nation in our churches, in our families, in our marriages, and today in what we're going to talk about is our sexual identity. Really, at the end of the day, I think we should probably better label it just our identity. And so if we don't see what's going on in the world and the landscape, if we're not aware of it, then we won't know what to do. And that's why we've been going through First Chronicles 12.32, that these sons of Issachar, they had an understanding of the times, so that they would know what Israel ought to do. And right now, like on, on, the, on the radar screen for our, uh, the current administration, our president, schools, I mean everything, uh, Hollywood, athletes, everything you're hearing, the, 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 the thing that they're dealing with is this whole sexual identity. They want to change everything. They want to take away you know, the title of a, of a husband, and a wife. They want to take away the title of a mother and a father. Think about that. They want to take away words like male and female. So if you, you know, succumb to that, if we as a church compromise, uh, then we're going to allow them to crush us. So we have to fight for these things. How do we do it? We don't do it violently. We do it in part politically but we do it primarily spiritually. And so we got to be salt in the earth. We have to be light in the darkness. Salt was a preservative so that it wouldn't get rotten back in the day. They didn't have refrigeration. So we have to be salt. We have to be light in the darkness. And so, you know, we are going to be uh, compassionate. We are not going to be one of those foolish Christians that hold up signs and, you know, God hates so-and-so. Absolutely not. God loves everyone. Make no mistake about it. And we're going to talk about in the book of Genesis, 
when God uh, made us in his image, he made us male and female. So remember that. It starts, first of all, in his image. So that person over there and that one over there and that one over there and all the different people that are, you know, like whatever, different, they are made in the image of God. And so for us, that's where it starts. And then it's interesting to me how right there in the very get-go, in the very beginning, he says he made them male and female. And so this is what's going on in the world today. And so we need to know, Lord, how do we respond to this? What, how did we get here? And hopefully by the end of this whole thing, when we're done, that we'll be able to understand that, you know, at the end of the day, Jesus is the answer. No one's going to really understand what we're talking about or even agree with it or whatever until they really open their hearts to God. And so we'll talk about a few things. Um, as we're in this fight, like Jude says right here, the, the weapons of our warfare, Second Corinthians 10.4 says, are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And so as we're fighting this fight, as you're fighting for your children, you're fighting for your junior hires, you're, you're praying that they will really love Jesus, you know, when you're doing that, you're not doing it in the flesh. You're not yelling at them. One thing I want to encourage you to do is maintain that relationship that you have with them. Never lose that. The enemy's going to try to come in and, you know, you're mad at them and they do this and they failed there and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, there's a part of us that just wants to give up or, or get mad or whatever. And then next thing you know, you're pushing them away farther and farther and farther away from you. That's not going to work. So that you have to try to maintain the relationship. You have to walk in the spirit. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You know, you start yelling at them. You start beating on them. Some parents do that. Do you actually think you're going to win them to the Lord that way? They're not carnal in the sense that they're not of the flesh, that we don't do this in the flesh. But they're also not carnal in that they're, they're not weak. They're powerful. And when you pray for your children, when you love your children, I'm talking about real love. I'm talking about really praying for them. I mean, when you do the things that are of the Lord, when you're teaching them the word, one of the most important things about a parent is being an example to them. When, you're, when those weapons are, 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 are spiritual, they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now, you guys know what strongholds are, right? Strongholds are fortresses. Strongholds are strategic places where it's like, okay, if I'm going to conquer that country, then I need to get that, that, and that. That's how wars are fought, right? And so um, what we do is we realize those are strategic areas, and as we win those back to the Lord, then God will give us the victory. And so, again, I mean, there's a lot part of me, and who knows, it's interesting how this series has gone. Some people have, have, have liked it. Others are like, man, you got to get back to teaching the Bible, so you're never going to please everybody. But I hope that you know the motivation behind it is, like I said in the very beginning, we have to fight for our families, our flock, and the future of our nation. Because if not, then if we just let the enemy steamroll us, we're going to lose all of that. We really will. As we're approaching it, I always think of that saying, and some have attributed it to Augustine, but I don't know for sure if he was the origin of it. But remember that one saying he said on the essentials, unity, on the non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, charity. 
So on the things that are clearly you know, delineated in Scripture, the things that I would say it this way, the things that, required, that were required to believe in order to go to heaven, the essentials, th- those are the things that you can't mess up on this because if you do, you're not going to go to heaven. So on that, there has to be unity. There can't be any com- compromise or capitulation. Uh, on the essentials, there has to be unity. On the non-essentials, there's liberty. So someone comes to a church like this, and they're like, well, I don't like that church because they play the drums you know, when they do worship. And I'm used to the, you know, whatever, the bagpipes or the organs. I don't know. And, you know, that's, that's liberty. That's not, that, doesn't, that doesn't affect your salvation. So on the essentials, there has to be unity, and the non-essentials, liberty. And there's a lot of different gray areas that churches and people are going to disagree on, and that's okay. There's liberty there. But he says the last thing, but in all things, charity. And that was written in a time when charity meant love. So no matter what, even if they disagree with me on the essentials, even if they don't believe in God, if they completely disagree with me and what we're talking about today and sexual identity and race and all that kind of stuff. You know, you name it. There's a lot of different things that we talk about. No matter what, we have to love each other. We have to love, you guys. We don't hate people. We don't bully people. We don't disrespect people because like we said in the beginning, they're created in the image of God. Okay, so prayerfully, you know, the, you know, as a church, I think probably for the most part, you guys are going to agree with me, but every once in a while I have to leave the 99 and find the one, and I just you know, have to tell that one that even though you might not see things the same way I do, the same way we do as a church, I want you to know we love you. We love you no matter what. Okay, and so for us in this series, the storm is here, and we got to know this, and you guys got to know this, that there's this like this sweeping, you know, crazy raging storm that's already taking place. And at the end of the day, the only thing that can change it is an outright, full-on revival. Like a, a great awakening. You guys see that? You guys see where we're heading? We're heading in a place that's not good. And so the, the world needs a revival in the church. The church needs to be the church. The church needs to be strong. And so you can look at it at the church and you can say, oh yeah, hopefully the pastor gets it right and hopefully you know, the overseers get it right. You know, but, but that's cool. Pray for the pastors, pray for the leaders. But I want to encourage you, let the revival begin in you. Let there be this fire for God. Let this be this hunger for righteousness. Let there be this thirst. Like I want to be completely full on committed, sold out, surrendered, whatever it is that God made me to do in life. And I know I got to have my family responsibilities, but whatever the gifts, the talents are, opportunities are for God, because it's only one life, soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. So the only way, the only hope that our nation has, because it is so dark and things are exponentially, radically changing overnight, I mean, I almost feel like it's too late. But whenever there's God in the equation, it's not. But what it will take is for every single Christian, and here you guys are here, for you to have a fire in your heart for God. If there's any sin in your life, God will forgive it, but you have to repent. You have to get right. Because there's no way that you can have the power of God while you're living in sin. But if you get rid of the sin and you surrender it to the Lord, then you can have the power of God 
and it will function in such a way that it'll blow your mind. You know, sometimes we get hit by someone and they say something wrong and, you know, we get all mad at them. What if someone bumps you and out comes love? See, things like that, that can only happen through the Lord. What if God wanted to use your life to save someone who was on their way to hell? Who, someone who's living in hell. What if God wanted to use your life to save someone who was ready? They were that close to commit suicide. That close. See, we can't be everywhere. You can't be everywhere. But together we can be in so many different places. And God can do this as we're sensitive to his spirit. You know, we look at this in Nehemiah 4.14. Remember the, the story there. No, Nehemiah said, I, I looked and arose and I said to the nobles and the leaders and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Now, fighting for your houses is not your house, your, the walls. A lot of times we end up worshiping. That's fighting for your family. And that's what we have to do. Never violently. In part, it has its place politically, but primarily spiritually. And so we've talked about Western civilization. We've talked about how it used to be Christian, Judeo-Christian, but now it's not. I mean, you look at some of these churches in Europe, they were huge. Now they're mosques or they've been knocked down. So it's just a sweeping thing. And what we see going on in Canada and France, we're right behind them. It's just a, a, it's a trend. So we've gone from sacred to secular in Western civilization, in our nation, in this, the very sanctity of life itself, 125,000 abortions every single day. You guys remember how many seconds there are in each day? 86,400 seconds every day. So there's more abortions every single day than there are seconds. So boom, 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 this baby's dying like that. What does that do to the moms? And that's why you're here. Maybe you had an abortion. We're not condemning you. There's forgiveness. There's freedom. We're asking, you know, maybe not do it again because it does so much damage. But what happens is when you lose the sanctity of life and the value of life, then, you know, homicide, suicide, genocide, all those kind of things, they follow. So this is where we've gone. We've gone. We've lost the Western civilization. Our nation is crumbling. Sanctity of life the church is capitulating. Marriage is are falling apart. Families are losing their even labels. And then today is our last one in this series. And it's on the sexual revolution, gender or sexual identity. And like I said earlier, it's not necessarily sexual identity. It's just identity altogether. You know, what we recently, it was recently, they came up with this phrase, the nuclear family. It's not the nuclear family, it's the natural family, where God gave a husband and a wife, and they have certain roles and responsibilities, according to Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3, where God gave a mom and a dad. And the dad is here to show his children how to love the Lord. He's here to show his sons how to be a man. A mom is there to do the same thing with her tenderness and sensitivity. Miha, mijo, it's all about the Lord. It's all about, well, you know, you've got to get them a great education and they've got to go out there and make a lot of money. Well, what if they make a lot of money but they don't make it to heaven? 
but mom and dad, they have different responsibilities. God wired you differently. If you looked at your spouse and that man and that woman, they're very different for a reason. It's for a reason. And so the world is saying it's no longer husband and wife. It's now it's just partners. So we've got to erase those words, husband and wife. And it's no longer mom and dad. It's parent number one and parent number two. That's what you, the form would say if you enrolled your children in France, in Canada. And it's coming here. And now it's gotten so bad that they're actually, there's actually legislation in the Equality Act, which is going to be hitting the Senate not too far in the near future, where they're saying basically, if you refer to this individual who wants to be a boy, they were born a boy, but now they want to be a girl. And if you call them by the improper gender, it's a crime. It's a crime. And dad, if you want to exercise your parental uh, responsibilities for your children, who this one's, uh, they're, they're experiencing what's called gender dysphoria, and you, you're saying, no, you know what? They're, you're only 12 years old. You're only 12 years old. Wait until you're 18 at least till you can make a decision. But, but dad, you can't do that anymore. And you know the way that they put it in the bill? They, they call it health care. They call it health care. And you, so someone reads the bill and they're like, of course, we can't deny them health care. But, but you see the way that they're manipulating the system? It's not just health care you know, to, to save them physically and you know, life. It's talking about ch- sex change. Now, you know, we're living in a free world. God's given us freedom. If someone wants to be gay, they have that freedom to do that. If they want to be a boy and they were born a girl, they, they can do that. They, unfortunately, that's the world that we live in. But, I mean, at least let them become 18. And then they come in here and let's just say there's a job opportunity in church and, you know, I'm sorry, you know, we have these convictions as a church. Then, then we get, you know, it, it, we get indicted with a crime. They can shut us down. So, Things are changing rapidly. Things are changing overnight. And so I, I, I guess we're going to get to specifically um, transgender issues because I think that's really the big thing now. I mean, we're past gay. We'll talk a little bit about that. We're past that. You know, now we're talking about just there's no limit. LGBTQ+. Right? And even the queue, they, they, it, things are changing every 15 minutes. That's what happens when you take God out of the equation. The queue is for questioning, I'm not even sure. Binary, non-binary, male, female, why do you guys even use words like that? You know, so let's talk a little bit about this. I want to make sure that I, 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 you know, as a church, things are clear but at the same time, I want to make sure that if someone's out there that's struggling with these issues, I want you to know that we know, at least I know, those things are real. I understand. I'm not denying that. But what I am saying is you come to the Lord with all your struggles. You come to the Lord with all the things that are going on. If you could just open your heart for a minute, and if I could just tell you this, that there, is there really a God? Is there really a God that made everything? And if this, there is a God, it, does he tell us? Does he have the right to tell us what's right and wrong? Are you open at least to that? 
to whether or not there is a God who is a moral lawgiver, who has given us a conscience, and then he's given us the light of his word and his Holy Spirit to guide us along light. Do you think maybe, just maybe, there's this possibility that God knows more what's best for you than you? So just give God a chance. That This is what we're talking about here. Because I don't want to come, like I said earlier, and with these signs and weird this. We're not like that. Jesus wasn't like that. But neither do we want to compromise. Because we love you, um, not just to make life nice and cozy and comfortable on earth, but because there's eternity afterwards. And so as we're closing this series, I, I, got, I think there's a lot of different things that we could look at. But in 1962, prayer was taken out of school. And then, I don't know if you guys knew this, but there was a prayer that they would pray in school. And then, let me read to you this prayer. Okay, this, is, this was the prayer that they used to pray. It was very, um, very open. You know, it was not like specific in one thing. This is all the prayer was. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon thee and we beg thy blessing upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. That's all the prayer was. I mean, it didn't even address like Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It was just God, we, we, we acknowledge that we need you, our parents, our teachers, and our country. And so when they took this to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court said, oh no, you can't be doing that in school. And then the next year, 1963, the Bible was taken out of public school as well. They combined it, the Supreme Court combined it, saying, you know, and if you think about it for a second, our nation, that was our textbook in the beginning. I mean, they, the Bible, the Bible, God's word, but they took that out and then they combined it with another uh, uh, act of legislation because uh, there was also another court case regarding the Lord's Prayer. And so simultaneously in 1963, they took out that prayer, they took out the Bible. And so let me ask you a question. Do you think that's going to have any ramifications? Absolutely. Here we are praying for our teachers, praying for our parents, praying for our country. And then, and then you say, you can't do that anymore. I mean, what, what happened was we just turned our backs on God who had established us. Now, when you read the Old Testament, you see that Israel did that a lot. God did such a great work in pulling them out of Egypt. God did such a great work with Abraham, calling him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. I mean, just the whole thing, how he gave him this land, and then they forgot. Because what happens, and we're going to talk about this, is our bodies are broken, and our bodies want to do bad things. It's just the inclination of our fallen nature. And so if, not left, if left unchecked, and if you take God out, then it happens every time. And that's what happened to Israel over and over again, and that's, what happening, that's what's happening to the United States of America. And so then God would raise up a judge. God would raise up a Hezekiah. God would raise up you know, a David, someone to bring him back to the Lord. And so it's the Lord, but he uses his people. What if God raised up one of you guys? Say, okay, what are your children that have changed the whole nation? I don't know. I don't know if it's too late. But I know we can't capitulate. I know we need to do this right. I mean, we talked about the fact early on in the series that all the Ivy League schools were established by Christians for the sake of advancing Christianity and meeting the academic needs of the new world. 
And so 106 of the first 108 colleges formed in the United States of America were formed by Christians and built upon Christian rules and precepts. In Harvard University, you had to, this was their requirement, every single morning you had to wake up at 7 a.m., spend time with your tutor, and you're in the Word and you're in prayer. You also had to do it at 5 p.m. Harvard University. And they said, if you don't do that, you're going to get in big trouble. That's basically what they said. You can only have one mess up in the area of devotions with your tutor. Think about that. Harvard. 106 of the first 108 schools in our nation were Christian, with Christian values. You see, God established this nation. God did. You see that? They're trying to rewrite history, but for us, we have to understand that. And so knowing that foundation, knowing that origin, and then seeing the way we've turned our backs on him, we see that the answer is to turn back to him. Because just as he established our nation, he can reestablish it. But then you start going, and it doesn't take long. Um, in 1960, um, birth control started. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Not that I think you guys have to have 18 kids, okay? I'm not saying that. But what does birth control do? Birth control disconnects sexual intimacy with procreation, Right? And birth control allows you to just do whatever you want to do sexually. Eventually, you disconnect you know, sexual intimacy with procreation. Then it doesn't take long for you to disconnect uh, children with parental responsibilities. And so all I'm saying is that when you, you can see this whole trend in 1960, 1962, 1963... Then, you know, you start going into the gay movement in 1969. Many of you have probably heard of what happened in Greenwich Village where the police raided a gay bar leading to the Stonewall riots. And it, it, a lot of these things we're going to see happened in New York for whatever reason. It started in New York. But, you know, that led to these riots, these protests. They led to every single year they had have, they have now the gay parade, right? And so what ended up happening, and it, it all started with leaving God. Okay, God... Um, we're just going to leave you out of it. And then just everything, like we talked about last week, a domino effect. There's a domino effect, right? And so now, um, what used to be, in one sense, frowned upon, is now strutting down Main Street. That's the gay parades, right? And so that happened in 1969. Next thing you know, abortion on demand in 1973. And just uh, one thing leads to another. Gay marriage was legalized by the Supreme Court. And it just crushing any uh, legislation that the states might have, just they think they're the Supreme Court. And uh, they're not. So here's the thing. Um, it, you would figure, well, it's over now, right? That you know the sexual revolution has reached their climax now that they have this gay marriage. But understand that it's not, that the devil, that the flesh, it's never satisfied. Never satisfied. It, it won't be satisfied. It will never be satisfied. That's why, and I don't want to sound weird. I, I'm sorry to, to, to say this, but I need to tell you, that's why we have the Old Testament examples in the book of Canaan when the Israelites went in and you know they had to take care of business and go in there and win the land. 
is because the perversity was so crazy. And we're talking about adults with children. We're talking about people with animals. Do you think that it'll end? No, I mean, with the gay movement, um, you know, it's not, it's not enough. You know, Martina Navratilova was a famous tennis player. She won many Wimbledons. Uh, she was an advocate for the gay movement, right? And so one day they asked her, hey, is it okay for a, a, a gal uh, or for a guy who wants to be a gal to you know, you know, compete in women's athletics? And that's a big issue now, right? And she said, no, I don't think that's right. You know, a guy's a guy. Biologically, there's a lot of differences. And so if he wants to be a girl, then he should not be allowed to compete in women's athletics. And you know what they did to Martina Navratilova, right? They crucified her. They took her out of being a spokesperson for, for gay because, you know, she's not fitting their political agenda because they're not satisfied with anything. They're not even open to dialogue or debate. We're going to see here that they don't want to just kind of like settle things and live peaceably. They want to crush the church. They want to crush the families. We're going to see that as we go through. Albert Moeller said, the sexual revolution is far from over. The gay rights movement continues to reorient the moral fabric of Western civilization. The LBGTQ revolution demands not only equality, but also the suppression of divergent worldviews, namely the Christian worldview. Any moral code that denies the new sexual rights must be silenced. For in Kaufman's words, the worldview is nothing more than the vestige of an authoritarian system of oppression. These words come not as friendly debate and discourse over moral issues. They are the words of revolution and a revolution seeking nothing less than unconditional surrender from its enemies. See, that's where, that's where we are. Not only must divergent ideologies surrender unilaterally, they must be destroyed. No more husband. I don't want to hear that word anymore. No more wife. I don't want to hear that word. No more dad. No more mom. I, I, we don't want those words anymore. You know, the, the church, you guys going to preach that? You guys going to talk about that? We're going to shut you down. And, you know, the, you guys know the church will never... Go away, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. But, you know, it doesn't mean that we just kind of roll over and say, okay, well, if you want to take our buildings away, you know, or whatever, all that kind of stuff, you know, we'll just let you. I mean, if we got to go in caves or whatever, we have to go underground like in China. Maybe that's what God wants. In China, this church is pretty strong. There are more Christians there now, I think, than there are here. Because persecution does have a way of purifying the church. But it doesn't mean we don't, you know, fight for our rights and those weapons of our warfare that are spiritual. You know, what we find is that sociology, it changed everything, you know. And so we have to get back to what God wants. One person said, by untethering sex from marriage, we have enabled the normalization of pornography extramarital affairs, death of millions of babies, and a divorce epidemic. And by severing gender identity from God-given sex, we will likewise reap a psychological, social, cultural, and political whirlwind. 
And so one of the things that I hope it comes across clearly is that not only are we saying that if you don't like yield and open up your heart to God, you won't go to heaven. We're also saying that don't think for a minute that your life on earth is going to be good because God knows what's best. And that's why C.S. Lewis said, if you aim for earth, you miss it. But if you aim for heaven, you get both. And that's why it's important for us. I don't know about you. I'm not smart enough to say, hey, I know more than God. But people are going by what they feel, by what they're hearing. Oh, uh, what's that basketball player's name? Wayne, Wade. I forgot his name. But him and his wife, you know, they, they're, being, they're spokesmen for the family now, you know. And uh, um, he was a great basketball player for the Miami Heat, don't get me wrong. But, but how does this guy who's had like three children out of wedlock, multiple women, now his, his little girl comes out as transgender and she has this big interview with Michelle Obama. How does he become the poster child and the, 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 the counselor? for marriage and family. How does that happen? Athletes, celebrities, we know, we know that God said, mom and dad, please, as you're raising children, stay together because those kids need you, right? We talked about that in the book of Malachi, that God wants awfully godly offspring. So don't just go getting divorces. Now, if you're here and you've had a divorce, again, we're not saying that you should be condemned. We're not saying that, but we're just saying, let's learn from those things and let's go forward now. Let's go forward now. No more. You're, you're, you're a Christian. You're single. You wait on the Lord. And, um, and as you're waiting on the Lord, then you wait for the person that is a Christian that God brings into your life. You become the person that God wants you to be and you enter into a godly relationship and marriage until death do you part. That's the mentality now. I like what David Trujillo said. He said, what do, uh, what do um, Christians who are waiting on the Lord, they should do what waiters do. What do waiters do? They serve. Huh? <laughs> they serve. If you're single, you're waiting on the Lord, you should be serving. 1 Corinthians 7, it says that. You should be busy serving because when you get married, ah, oh, you got a lot of responsibilities. <laughs> When you're single, you're free. And so prayerfully, you guys, we, we have that heart. You know, but just things, they just go south right away. And so here's the thing. How many of you guys here deal with lust? Lust. You know, you're looking at things and you're like, ooh, I like that. You know, you tap on it, you get a little closer. Or you're looking at a billboard and maybe it's a movie. See, the sexual revolution, I mean, just right there. So this is what I want to encourage. I'm sure, I'm sure girls deal with it too. Do girls deal with it too? Maybe not as much, but probably more so now. You see some guy, some buff guy, huh? It's out there. Don't look. Don't feed your flesh. Don't feed it. Because if you look at it and then you want it, then you're going to want more, right? And next thing you know, it's not enough just looking at it. And so I want to encourage you, watch out for, for lust. Jesus said, if you look at a woman to lust for her, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. Now, pornography, sexual immorality, any type of sexual immorality, 
You're, you're, you're not married. You're, you're commanded to wait until you get married. Right? That's what, I mean, if we would do things God's way, you know, then there's this adultery. Then there's homosexuality. Ultimately, it, it ends right here. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 4. And as we get into this, this is kind of like the, the fundamental scripture, I think. This is really the foundational one. And this is kind of how it all works. When Jesus was uh, there, it says in verse 1 that Jesus was led in Matthew 4, verse 1, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. So see how it says he was hungry? It doesn't say he was thirsty. More than likely, the 40 days he wasn't eating, he probably was drinking. It doesn't say he was thirsty. We're not sure, but we do know this. He was hungry. When was the last time you were hungry? You guys haven't been hungry in years, right? Because <laughs> you, Unless you've been fasting, but for the most part, we just grub, right? Now, when the tempter came to him, this is the devil himself, he said, hey, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. And so how many of you here like bread? Imagine, imagine if Jesus commanded the stones to become bread, how good that bread would have been. Probably would have had butter already inside of it, huh? And so the Lord was hungry. He was hungry. Let me ask you a question. If you haven't eaten for 40 days, homeboy, you'd be hungry, right? You would be hungry. Jesus was hungry. And so the devil says, just eat, you're, you're hungry, just eat. Make, make these stones become bread, especially because of the fact that you deserve it. You deserve it. You're the son of God. Imagine that. But what did Jesus say? In verse 4, he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What did Jesus essentially say? He said, we don't live by our body appetites. We don't live by our animal appetites. That's not how we live. That's not the only way we live. Now, yeah, sometimes, you know, you're hungry. You have the double-double. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But man does not live by bread alone. The priority for my life, he says right there, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. And what is he saying right there? He's just saying at the end of the day, you don't, you're not dictated by your own hungers or appetites or inclinations. We're not. Even if the devil comes and tempts us, even if you feel like you're worthy of it, if you even haven't eaten for 40 days, you're like, man, I've been single for a year now and I haven't been you know, intimate with anybody and it's been a long time. God says that doesn't matter. You live by the word of God who tells you to wait on the Lord. And so this really brings us to that place of whether or not we're going to join the revolution of the world against God or we'll live according to the revelation of the word of God. You know, Jesus gives us a biblical worldview and he commands every Christian to take up their cross, deny themselves and follow him. How did we get here? Real quick, I want to go over these things and then touch on how we can deal with people in our life who maybe are gay or transgender. How do we do it as a church? 
Um, but first, real quick, we've got to know how we got where we are because I think it helps in many ways, but it also helps us to prevent from getting any worse. In Judges chapter 21 and verse 25, the Bible says that in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So there was no king. And so for us, there is a king. His name is Jesus. And so we're not supposed to do what's right in our own eyes, but that was where they had come. Earlier in the book of Judges, it says, there arose a generation who did not know the Lord. And so now, no, no one's ruling. There's no authority over me. There's cultural relativism. If the society says it's okay, if the government says it's legal, then it's moral and fine and right to do. Okay, cool, but what if? What if? There's a God who made you. And to me, if people, I, wish, I wish people would just stop and think, well, there's got to be a God. You actually think that we're here by accident? I mean, to me, it takes more faith to be an atheist. It takes more faith to be someone who believes in evolution than it does to believe in a creation. Because even this phone right here, you know, we worship our phones because they're so complex and amazing and so many things, but we would never think for a minute that this happened over, you know, 40 million years by natural processes and accidents and a series of fortuitous occurrences, and boom, there's an iPhone. Your bodies are a million times more complex than that iPhone. Imagine if you cracked your iPhone and it fixed itself. Wouldn't that be cool? Well, if you cut yourself, isn't it amazing how it fixes itself? I mean, isn't it amazing the thing we call, what if you took two iPhones together and you put them side to, and then they made another iPhone? Wouldn't that be cool? <sighs> I mean, believe you me, we are man and woman created in the image of God, the capacity to love and the music and the things that we see and the way that we can taste and laugh, all that kind of stuff. There's no doubt about it that there is someone who made us and like I can have a personal relationship with my wife or with anybody. You know, I can have this with them. Doesn't it make sense that the one who made us can have that? It's not like a robot up there. We're talking about God who is a person. Not, you know, six foot tall, but I'm talking about social, moral, rational, and spiritual being. He has a personality. And so, you know, for us... There's a king, and so we can't be one who has no king. We do whatever what's right in our own eyes. Proverbs 14, 12, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. To, to all those people out there who say, well, it's right. You know, I feel this way. I'm like I'm a guy trapped in a girl's body. I mean, it seems right to me. You know, that, that because of the fact that I'm attracted to same sex, it just, it's just right. It's right. But right here, what if this proverb is true, that there is a way that seems right to a man, but his end is death? I mean, what if you're saying, well, it's okay to be gay and homosexual, and then what if God is saying, then you won't inherit the kingdom of God? That's what the Bible says. Genesis one twenty seven is a really important verse, and Maybe we can turn there. As I mentioned this earlier, that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And then to me, it's not random that just very on the onset, like in the get-go, in the very beginning, 
He says, male and female, he created them. So there's something to that that we have to understand. You know, Leviticus 18.22, it says, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5, it says, a woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. You know, you have transvestites. Maybe underneath that you have transgender inclinations. And God is just saying, God is just saying, you know, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to honor the, the biological birth, the way that I made you. Now, I know for some it's going to be a struggle, but that's where getting saved comes in. Before I was a Christian, man... I mean, before you guys were Christians, you could sleep around, right? The, the inclination of a man is not to be monogamous. The inclination of a man is not to be with just one gal. I mean, it really, your nature, by nature, you be with as many girls as possible. But, but because there's a God, because he lives inside of me, I realize, no, I can't do what my body tells me to do, my body wants me to do. Now, I, I do what God tells me to do. It's as simple as that. And the Lord says in Deuteronomy 22.5 that we don't cross-address. Another passage that you know I'm sure most of you know, but you might want to turn there. And this one is, is really straight out. But it, it mentions a couple of things in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 9. Paul the Apostle says, do you not know? I mean, you guys should know this. Do you not know? It's almost like he says, you know, duh. Uh, <laughs> that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. And there it is right there. The deception. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. See, and this is, at the, at the heart of it, this is the love. Because they just say, well, we love, you should love. This is the love. I love you. This is why I share this with you, because if you... Live. I'm not saying that you don't have. You can't. I don't. You can't change the way you feel, but you can change who you choose to be, and what title you possess. Now we all probably have a little bit of temptations to idolatry, or maybe temptations to covetousness. But when you become an unrepentant idolater, or an unrepentant, you know, a covetous person, someone who's good with it, they settle with it. This is me. Too bad. So sad. I don't care what God or anyone else, you know. And then they even try to change what God says. That's when, you know, Paul says, you need to know that, that that person will not inherit the kingdom of God. And sometimes you get people, they come to church all the time. They're even serving in ministry and they're, living at, they're looking at pornography. They're not opening up, they're not repenting, and they're on their way to hell. Now, I say that because I love you, because everybody here should have that in their heart. You can hide your sin from everyone else, from me, all the leadership, wherever it might be, but you cannot hide your sin from God. And this is why, what, is, what does it do? Is it changes us. I better stop it. And the devil comes in and he says, well, you can't stop it. 
Yes, you can't, but God can. You better. He says right here, listen, and I like what he says in verse 11, and such were some of you. You guys used to be gay. I, I won't do it, I won't do it, but I can point out people in this church that used to be gay, and now they're not. Now they're married, and now they're serving the Lord. Homosexuals, lesbians, because of the work that God's done. Yesterday I saw an interview between two people that are transgender. One was you know, for it, one was against it. They both claim to be Christians. A really awesome conversation, and one of them was just saying, this is how it worked for me. And here's really how it works. Is It's probably not going to change. I mean, share what you want to share, but it's probably not going to ever really change. Maybe you have a loved one who's, who's in that lifestyle until they get saved. And that's why it's interesting, and we're not going to have time to go there, but in Romans chapter 1, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. That's why you keep loving your children and being a good witness of Christ. I'm not saying you say their sin's okay. You don't have to talk about it all the time. Only as the Lord leads. But you shine as a Christian, and then you earn the right to share the gospel with them, and then they get saved. Because later on in Romans chapter 1, he talks about that about the sin, how God gave them up. And so, you know, this is where we are. Where is it headed? One last verse in Isaiah 5, verse 20. It says, What are those who call, good, who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter? So where are we headed? We're headed to a place where if you don't agree with their ideologies, that you are evil, that you are haters, that you are bad. And that's okay. They're going to say that about us. I don't want you guys to misrepresent God. I don't want you to say it in a mean way. I don't want to say it in a derogatory way. Say it in love. Speak the truth in love. Clearly. But no matter what, that's how they'll label us. But be okay with that. Because even Isaiah talks about how that would happen. Now, what we find going on with the current administration, celebrities, athletes, is that this has become center stage in the American public life. It doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle with these issues. It just means that what we find is that we have to come to Christ take up our cross, deny ourselves. You know, Paul the Apostle said, man, I wanted this thorn in the flesh to go away and I prayed three times that it would change, but it didn't. And so he just said, the Lord said, my grace is sufficient. Real quick, what is gender dysphoria? Gender dysphoria is a psychological stress that occurs when individuals experience a conflict between the gender they were assigned at birth and the gender with which they now identify. What is transgenderism as an ideology? As an ideology, it's a political movement and it has three tenets. Number one is that gender is malleable, that a trans girl is a girl and not just a boy who identifies as a girl. And they can actually pound it. The word malleable means they can pound it into change. The the second is that modern medicine, puberty blockers, hormone therapy, and gender reassignment surgeries should be utilized to help gender dysphoric individuals change their identities. And so the third is that public policy should be reformed to reflect these preferences, including participation in sports, access to public bathrooms, 
of preference and the criminalization of misgendering individuals. I remember my son, he was, you guys have probably heard, maybe you've been trained. There was a time where it said, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Now it's do unto others as they would have done unto them. It's like you've got to call them by what they say they are. What is gender reassignment surgery and why is it dangerous? While it, modern medicine is used to help gender dysphoric persons realign their physical bodies with their gender preference. But what does the Bible say? We read in Genesis 1.27 that God created them in his image. God created them male and female. And so how should Christians relate to individuals with gender dysphoria? Listen, if you would, just for a second. I think this is a really good uh, writing right here I got from Crosswalk. It says, when Christians meet a person with gender dysphoria, our primary aim is to love them. As Christian ethicist Andrew Walker notes in his book, loving a transgender person involves dignity, empathy, compassion, and patience. We must recognize the God-given dignity of a transgender person who is created in God's image, possesses great worth, and is deserving of honor and respect. We work hard to empathize with them, trying to see life from their perspective. We have compassion on them, befriending them and walking with them through their life experiences and struggles. And we have patience, entering into their lives to love them for the long haul. Love is hard work, but we Christians should be known for it, particularly among those who disagree with us. And we have one thing I want to show you, because just in case, like I said, every once in a while you got to leave the 99 and go after the one. If someone's out there struggling with things like this, we want you to know that we know it's not easy. We understand that it's difficult. I don't know if these statistics are right. I tried to lean more towards what they would say. You know, There's probably less than this, but they say 4.5% of the U.S. is LGBT. One-third of them experience mental illness. Um, Two-thirds are more likely to have long-term psychological or emotional problems. Transgender people attempt suicide nine times more than the entire population. LBGDQ adults are 50% more likely to develop alcohol and even drug problems. And so I, I wanted to show you guys that because, number one, as Christians, we've got to know it's not easy for them. But, but number two, we want you to know that we know it's not easy for you. We want you to know that. I mean, suicide is just skyrocketing with the whole pandemic. It's just crazy what's going on. And so with all that, you know, we understand it's not easy. But what we're saying to you, if there is a God and Jesus is the one, you know, because there's no one like Jesus, he died and rose again, is that you got to come to him. You come as you are. Come with your questions. Come with all the baggage. And just like when I gave my life to the Lord, he will help you overcome. We have to come to him like that. Paul the Apostle talked about how he is not ashamed of the gospel because he knew it was the answer. And so if you have kids, you have sisters, you have uncles, you have brothers, you have friends, make sure that you pray for God to open doors for them to be able to hear the gospel from your lips and be saved. How should Christian parents relate to children who don't fit typical gender norms? Listen to what it says. Christian parents should affirm their children's biological sex and help their children grow into the corresponding gender. If if your son was born a son, honor that. Help him to become a man. 
Sometimes the reason that stuff happens is because dad's not even there. Mom's not even there. You got to be there, help them through it. When a child expresses gender dysphoria, we can love them and express empathy without supporting transgender identification or transitioning therapies. In fact, the best therapies are the ones that emphatically, empathetically help a child's gender understanding to conform with the child's biological sex. And that's why it's so important, you guys, to teach them the truth at a young age. That's the key. To live out that truth and to maintain that family unit. What causes divorces? Affairs. Most of the time, it's an affair. And that's why as we're maintaining the family unit, as we're raising our children, Proverbs 22.6 says, in the ways of the Lord, you train them up in the ways of the Lord so that when they're old, they will stay on track. And that's where we have to be, you guys. There's a lot more here too, but um, we don't have time. As we close this series, I was thinking about that passage in Hosea chapter 8, verse 7. It says, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. So you plant bad seed, you're going to get bad seed. That's kind of the way it works, right? So we've sown to the wind, we're going to reap the whirlwind, the storm. So now all we can do now is say, Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. And from this point forward, we sow good seed. You sow good seed. And it's going to take time because you guys know it doesn't happen overnight. But if you start sowing good seed, you start coming to church, you start reading your Bible, you start praying, you start serving the Lord, you start honoring God, you start doing what's right, you get rid of the sin, you get power inside of you, the power of the resurrection to raise you and your family up. You start doing that. And then you watch what God will do. If you're here for second service, hopefully we're going to sing the song, God Bless America. I wish I could sing it for you, but I can't. But um, I do pray, I do pray he would bless America. And so you guys, um, uh, what the Lord's kind of laid on my heart, I I don't want to leave this whole thing. I'm praying that God will raise up a salt and light ministry so that even though, you know, Lord willing, in a few weeks we'll start the book of James and we'll teach you the Bible, there'll always be um, an awareness of what's going on, an understanding of the times, and then that way we can know what we ought to do fight for our family, our flock, and the future of our nations. I hope you know that Jesus loves you. I hope you know that he has a good plan for your life. I pray that you would follow him, you would serve him with a reckless abandon.